Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to another podcast with me and my very special guest, Jordan Syatt. Jordan is a fitness and nutrition trainer who has a Bachelor's of Science in Health and Behavior Science with a focus in strength and conditioning. He's also the coach for Precision Nutrition and a five times world record powerlifter. In today's podcast, Jordan and I discuss everything from back to basics and foundations when it comes to your health, up to macros and tracking, fat loss science, weekend blowouts, metabolic adaptions, managing expectations with weight loss, intuitive eating, and why the health at every size approach really is an advanced form of eating. Join Jordan and I today for this epic chat, but please be warned, there are a few sneaky F-bombs in this podcast, so if you have little ears in the car today, please be mindful of this. Let's jump straight into this incredible podcast today and make sure you guys head on over and follow Jordan's Instagram, which is at Syat Fitness, which is S-Y-A-T-T-F-I-T-N-E-S-S. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And if you do, please take a minute to leave me a positive rating or review. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Super happy to have you on today. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, um, I absolutely. I love your Instagram. I love how you you just give the most. You just give the the most brilliant messages in this. I guess the most easily easy to digest sort of way, and people really they respond so well to it. Where do you get your your inspiration behind your posts? Where do you come up with them? They're brilliant. Oh, first of all, thank you. Uh, most of the inspiration comes from Harry Potter. <laughs> um, for for me, I try and make all my posts as as fun as possible. I try and bring a lot of humor into it. Um, I guess, honestly, I've always felt that if people were that interested in learning about fitness to a very technical level, they would have went to school for it. Like they would be professionals if they wanted to know like the terminology and the, the deeper science. So for me, my goal is to help the people who are interested in getting better, but not necessarily interested in reading the deep technical details. So I just try and make it fun and enjoyable. Yeah. And you do it. You do an amazing job about that. And the reason, I guess the biggest thing I wanted to get you on the podcast that I did chat about was really around the concept of fat loss. Like there's so many people on social media saying, do it this way, do it this way. My way is better. This way is better. And I just sort of wanted to clear up some of those myths and I guess magical unicorns is what I call them on social media with you today. So let's start with fat loss. A lot of people don't know the difference between what is true fat loss and what is what we call like scale, you know, scale loss, like jumping on the scales and seeing it go down a couple of kilos or a couple of pounds isn't necessarily true fat loss. So in your, I guess, description, what would you say would be the difference between, I guess, scale weight and true fat loss? Yeah. I mean, it's a a really good question. Actually, I just did a story on that last night and it's funny. It's one of those things I think coaches take for granted. They just assume people get it. Um, your weight is literally everything inside of you. It's your bones, your tendons, your ligaments. Uh, it's literally everything that will, would cause you to weigh more. Um, your fat is just your fat. That's it, it. And so I think a lot of people, they run into issues when they base all of their progress on the scale. And when they assume like if the scale goes up, 
that they're losing progress and if scale goes down, then they're making progress. And I think it's equally important that we highlight just because the scale goes down, it doesn't mean you lost fat. And I think a lot of coaches, they tend to go towards the, listen, if it, if the scale spikes up, it's not a problem. But then when the scale goes down, they'll be like, they're, they'll cheer on like, Oh, that's amazing. And it creates this, it's almost a, it's an unconsciously unfair way to speak with your clients or anybody, just because if you're cheering them on when the scale goes down, then it makes sense that they would also think it's bad when the scale goes up. So it's important for me. It's just like, you have to create a non-emotional relationship with the scale where you're just using it as data, where sometimes it's going to go down, sometimes it's going to go up. And rather than looking at individual data points, looking at it over time is going to be your best bet. Yeah. And I love that. And I a hundred percent agree. Like true fat loss is really, it's such a mental game and you're so right in saying that if we're going to celebrate the wins when it goes down, we should be celebrating other non-scale victories as well. So for your clients, what are some other non-scale victories that you really like to focus on? Uh, that's a really good question. I think the, the most common ones are obviously how you feel in your clothes, how you feel in general. Like, do you have more energy? Are you feeling stronger? Are you, are you, improving your weights in the gym? Are you getting stronger in the gym? Is your endurance better? Is your energy better? Uh, I think those are all important ones. Measurements are really good to go by if you want something a little bit more uh, number driven. Uh, Pictures are super important. But also, and this is something that I don't hear people talk about it as much as how you view your relationship with food. I think it's a really important non-scale victory that a lot of people don't discuss in terms of if you can go out and not get nervous or anxious when you're going out to eat with friends or family, that's a non-scale victory. If even like, I don't care if you, your body fat went up a little bit, if your body fat increased a little bit, but now you no longer have anxiety around food, that's a non, that's a victory. If, if you can enjoy yourself without feeling like guilty or feeling shame for doing that type of stuff. I think those are really important mental health non-scale victories that in the long term will lead to better overall physical health too. hundred percent agree. And I think that people and women in particular, we just get so hung up on that number on the scale, don't we? And we can let it dictate our entire day. So in terms of using the scale to track progress, are you a fan? Is it something that you recommend that your clients do? Or are you very much like just stay off the scale and we'll use progress pictures and measurements and that sort of thing instead? So I would say it's a little bit of both. I tend to lean towards using the scale. The reason being, I really want people to have a very logical, non-emotional response to the scale. And for example, let's say a lot of people, like if um, we're not for people demonizing carbs, right? We're, we, like if someone was demonize, demonizing carbohydrates, we aren't, we're not going to support that. So if a client comes to you and is like, I'm super scared of carbohydrates. Like I get really anxious when I, when I even think of carbohydrates, never mind eat them. You're not going to say, okay, well, you know what? Let's just not eat carbs anymore. Like that wouldn't be the, the right way to deal with it. You'd slowly and progressively incorporate more carbs into their diet. So then they would get used to it and realize, oh, the carbs aren't going to make me fat anymore. Like I get that now. That was a myth. So for me, if someone's scared to step on the scale, there's an emotional response that needs to be worked on. And for, I don't think the best action is to say, you know what, just never step on the scale anymore because that's just, you're not actually fixing the problem. You're just like ignoring it. So I'd rather teach them over time how to be able to step on the scale and use it as data without that emotional response that then leads to like, if it goes up, then they feel like the day is ruined. Um, so that, that's sort of where my mind is on it. I will say though, I do have some clients where 
it's just, it's super, super difficult and almost so, so ingrained within them that like, they'll just be very honest and like, listen, I know it logically, but emotionally I just, I'm not getting over it and it is ruining my day. And I'll say, you know what, then it's not worth it to step on the scale. Like if we've worked on it for a while, it's continuing to negatively affect you emotionally, then like, I'm just not going to have you step on anymore. And I'll like tell you, like, if you're going to go to the doctor to just let them know, would you mind not weighing me or something? Um, but my end goal is to get people to do it and treat it as logically as possible. Yeah, great. Because at the end of the day, it's just a number, isn't it? And the minute that we let that number define us, who you know, as who we are as humans, or even define our actions, all the hard work that we've done leading up into the point where we jump on the scale, that's really where we lose. If we're going to let that single number define all of our you know brilliant work or brilliant actions up until now, hundred percent, absolutely. Hmm. So then, leading on with this um, fat loss and weight loss sort of talk, what are some really big, I guess, red flags or things that you see some people doing wrong? Where would be sort of the most common areas that you see a lot of clients really just going a little bit astray? With fat loss specifically? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> there's a lot. There's 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 just so many. Um, and I think before I even go into like what where I see so many people going wrong, I think it's important to remember it's easier to sell a complex solution than it is a simple solution. And the fitness industry, it runs on extremes. Right, it's like you have a pendulum of it's either good for you or it's bad for you. It's healthy for you, it's unhealthy for you. It's fattening or it's fat burning. It's one or the other. Very rarely do you see that gray area because it's harder to get people to buy your product if they think it's so simple. Right? If you sell people on complexity, they're like, "Well, teach me how to do it," because like I, I must be complex because I'm doing everything right and it's not working. And I think number one is people are not being as consistent as they think they are. And, uh, that's a tough pill for people to swallow. And a lot of people get really pissed off when I say it. Um, I can't tell you how many hundreds, if not thousands of calls I've had where the person gets on the phone and they're like, I swear, I swear I'm trying, I know how many I'm eating. I'm doing everything perfectly. Da, da, da. And then once I have them actually like send me pictures of literally everything they're eating and like, they really start looking into it. They're like, Oh my God, I didn't realize that I was that, that, cream in my coffee. I didn't realize all the the random handfuls of nuts that I was having. I didn't realize that on the weekends that I was actually eating out at the diner and I was having pain. Like I didn't realize how many calories were in those meals. So I think people aren't being as consistent as they think they're being, which is probably the number one issue. Um, I would also say having very unrealistic expectations is another massive issue in terms of one of the most common things people will say is, well, I'm just not making progress fast enough. And I just had a conversation with a woman like two weeks ago about this, where she was like, I'm not making progress fast enough. And I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean you're not making progress quickly enough? And she was like, well, I've only lost like 12 pounds in the last three months. And I was like, in, in my head, I'm like, that's actually amazing progress. But I wanted to hear her opinion. I was like, why is that not fast enough? And she was like, well, because it's, it's just, I would expect more. I was like, Why? And you have to question, like, why would you expect more? And when you start to really dig into these questions, why are you frustrated? They start to realize it was a very emotional response. And usually they're comparing themselves to a friend. They're comparing themselves to what they've seen on Instagram. Uh, and it's not actually based in what is legitimately realistic progress. And I mean, as you know, like I always say half a pound to a pound a week of fat loss on, of, of weight loss on average is very, very good. Like it's fantastic. Um, but where a lot of people miss out on that is they think, okay, so that means per week. So then what will happen is they'll look at the end of every week and just expect to have that 
half a pound a pound every single week. But what might happen is you might lose four pounds in the first two weeks and then nothing again for the next two weeks. But at the end of four weeks, you've lost about a pound a week. So it's still really good if you're looking at on average. So it's the lack of patience, lack of consistency, um, unrealistic expectations. And then from all of that, I think it's really stemming from the lack of patients going towards more extreme rigid protocols, whether it's the juicing or the cleansing or the, I don't have anything against keto inherently, but it's a huge fad right now. And it's just most people, it's not sustainable. There are some people who they do have some health benefits with it and they can sustain it, which so by all means go for it. But if you're doing something that you can't sustain long-term, I don't know how you logically expect to be able to do it, how it's going to be a lot. That's actually one of the biggest issues I see with people is they're like, well, I'm just going to start off with a cleanse. So like, I'm just going to kickstart my progress with the cleanse. And I was like, so what are you going to do next? Like what comes next? How do you, let's say you lose 20 pounds, then what? They're like, well, then I'll transfer to something more sustainable. It's like, how do you expect to all of a sudden transfer to something more sustainable if you haven't practiced doing something sustainable? So it's one of my rant on that one. I have exactly the same rant. I think people just don't think through the long game, you know, for all the wonderful things that social media has brought us, like new friendships and the ability to interact with people all around the world. It's amazing. It's also brought us this sense of, I want something and I want it right now. Like everything is at our fingertips, like knowledge. Like if we want something, we order it online, you know, it can be expressed delivered the next day. Like we, we want everything in this fast paced world right now. And that includes fat loss. You know, I talk to people and I say, you know, how long have you been, you know, have you gained, you know, your, your, a little bit of weight? And they say, oh, you know, it slowly crept on over five years. And I'm saying, so you expect to lose all of that weight in a four week cleanse or a four week diet, yet you've taken about five years to put it on. Uh-huh. So we want things instantly, don't we? We want that instant thing. And I guess that what people don't understand is that losing fat loss quickly is actually a really bad thing because of the metabolic adaptions that can happen within our body. So would you like to talk to our listeners a little bit more about that and how rapid fat loss is actually a bad thing, yet we glorify it as a wonderful thing? Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. I will say like, just to go back in terms of like the, the rat people want things right right now. I think it's something that's something that I think that's human nature, right? It's like, that's why everything has been invented as it has, because the more quickly we can do things, the better. I think that's human nature to want things very, very quickly. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that we, it's good to just blame that in terms of if people are always like, it's just not good to blame that. What I would say is probably more importantly is people are really comparing themselves to people. And I think, and comparing, and for whatever, I think with social media, especially, they're looking at what other people are doing or what other people are saying they're doing. And that's just the worst place to be mentally when number, even if it is true, which a lot of it isn't, a lot of it's Photoshopped, a lot of it's lies. A lot of it is marketing that's designed to, the marketing is literally designed to make you feel insecure, to make you feel like this pains that you can be like, Oh my God, I need to buy that. or I need to hire that person. So I, I think it's really important to be aware. Like it's okay to want things quickly. That's, that's not a bad thing. The issue is when that desire to want things quickly ends up causing you to take actions that aren't in line with your goals that aren't going to be sustainable. And like, it's okay to want them quickly, but don't let that get in the way of being patient. Don't let that get in the way of making the smart decision. And definitely don't compare yourself to people online or anything else. Really the most important thing is to keep track of your progress and look at how you're improving, not how anyone else is doing. Um, in terms of rapid fat loss, it's very interesting. I think by and large, it's a 99.9% of the time, it's 
super dangerous from the, from the mental aspect of it, from the disordered eating habits that can often come from it. Um, and it's funny, a lot of people will say like, it's not funny. It's actually, it's bad, but like, I'm going to do rapid fat loss and let's say I'm only going to do it for like a week or for two weeks. But once those week or two weeks are up, they'll be like, well, can I extend it? Can I, 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 they're like, I don't want this progress to slow down. And it leads down a really dangerous trap of just constantly wanting more, constantly wanting more, constantly wanting more. And even if you're in a very steep calorie deficit and doing rapid fat loss, it will slow down eventually. Like it will, there's no, no way around it. So sort of by, by having those expectations set in your mind that it's just going to go super, super, super fast, it leads you down a really dangerous road where you could develop disordered eating habits and you're, you're going to be disappointed eventually. I will say that, and this is something that I don't, do you know, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky? Yes. Heard of him. So, so he's, he, he's works with a lot of people, um, with obesity. And I will say that with my clients, I think that for a very specific population of someone who has a lot to lose, in which case their health might be seriously threatened by being very, 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 very overweight. Brief stints of rapid fat loss at the very beginning, purely for the aspect of getting them progress and motivated can be very helpful, but you have to do a really good job of setting the expectations of this is literally only this many number of days and we're not extending it and your progress will slow down and it's and you have to keep reaffirming that because if you allow them to believe that it's going to continue that way you're setting them up for failure because then they're going to think that they're screwing up when it's not it's like that's just how the body works yes i mean for most people i'm not a huge fan of it at all um for the a very small percentage of the population i think it can be helpful but definitely not something for any sustained period of time I definitely agree with you. I used to work at the hospital in um, one of the orthopedic clinics and we'd have, um, I guess, very, very large bodied people come in and the surgeons would refuse to operate the, on them unless they'd lost a rapid amount of weight. So we'd sort of set the picture and we'd say, all right, we're going to do for four weeks a very low calorie, you know, meal replacement sort of diet. It was sort of based on very low carb as well. And basically the doctors would want, in most cases, sort of more than 20 kilos off some of these people. But we'd set that sort of thing and we'd say, all right, we're going to do it for four weeks only and then we're going to transition you back to normal eating and they were all on board for it at the beginning but the minute that they'd lost all that weight it was like no no don't stop man no we're doing awesome let's let's just keep going but then it, it gets to the point where they basically they can't keep going and instead of slowly sort of like reversing out of it they just flip that switch and go back to their normal eating habits and all that weight starts to come back on again and I guess that's probably the biggest um issue or problem that I see with rapid fat loss is, as you mentioned, people don't learn those foundations or the basics first. So they get to the point where they just simply have no willpower left to sustain it. They flip that switch and they're back to their old habits and all that weight comes back on again. I completely, completely agree, which is, you know, it it sucks because like I've always said, if there was a fat burning pill that legitimately burned fat, like I would be the first one to buy it. Like I would do it. If rapid fat loss was something that I could do and not have any like negative emotions around food. And if I could sustain it, like, yeah, of course I'd rather do it in, in 14 days than I would over the course of eight, 12, 16 weeks. But it's just, it's just not worth the risk that comes with it. Like for 99% of people, it's just not worth it. Mm, 100% agree. And I always sort of say to my clients, like losing weight is actually the easiest part. Sustaining it or keeping it off, that is the hard part. Like anybody can lose weight, anybody. It's actually quite easy. It's actually keeping it off and sustaining it, which is the difficult part. I mean, that's 
you're hitting the nail on the head. That is by far the most difficult part. And it's, it's funny because a lot of people will say, um, well, you know, juice cleanses, they work, they work really well for me or like these like fasting diets or like whatever, like they, they work really well for me. It's like, okay, so what do you mean it works well for you? Like define it works well. Well, the last time I did it, I lost 20 pounds. I'm like, and then what happened? And then I gained it back. And that's, it's so, it's almost like the mindset of someone who's addicted to gambling where like, if you look at the research of brain activity with someone who's a gambler, when they almost win, like almost winning elicits the same response as actually winning, which is why a lot of times they'll keep gambling. They'll keep throwing out money even long after they don't have any left. And I think that's similar, that similar thing happens to people when they're trying to lose weight, where they lose 20 pounds and then it's like, they're almost there. Now you just have to sustain it. And then they end up gaining it back and whatever happens, they didn't have those foundational habits. But when they think back to what it was like, they, all they remember is the feeling of seeing the scale being 20 pounds lighter. They're like, oh, well, that's what worked for me. Like clearly that's, that's what I need to do. And they forget about or don't even realize that the whole part afterwards in which they rebounded back up that shows you that it didn't actually work. Exactly. And it's almost like we need to focus on not the actual weight loss, but what happened afterwards and define that as success, not how we do, you know, in this day and age, we define losing the weight as successful. No, we need to define what comes after that as true success. What is your relationship with food like now? Um, you know, how do you treat your body now? How do you view food? And where is your where is your health at now? Not what happened when you were in a rapid weight loss phase. I agree completely. It's uh, I love hearing this because I don't think a lot of these conversations happen enough. And it, it's uh, I've been approached by different. Just to, I think actually this is helpful to give people context. I've been approached by different publishers and book companies who are like, hey, we would love for you to write a book. And and they're like, do you have any ideas for a book? And and one that I've always wanted to write is called the Five Year Plan. It's like the the basically because it can it's like it takes a long time. It takes a long time to do this. It takes a long time to get your, like, especially if you're starting from, from ground zero, starting from a place of like a, like a lifetime of not really focusing on what you're eating or a lifetime of not really going to the gym or working out in some way. And I think five years is a really good starting point to understand like, Hey, I'm in this for the long haul. So I'm always, I'm always like, yeah, I have this idea for a book. I'd love to write the five year plan. And it sort of just outlines what's going to happen over the next five years for workouts and nutrition, da, da, da. And they're always like, well, what do you think about something more like a seven day or a 21 day thing? And, and I get it because they're number marketers and they're book publishers and they want to make money and like respect that that's like, that's what you got to do. But I'm not willing to do that because it's number one, it's completely against everything I stand for. But the more people put stuff out that gives the perception that you can do it so quickly, the less likely people are to succeed at all, because then they're going to think that they're screwing up and the reality is they're not screwing up. They're just, they have unrealistic expectations. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's probably the biggest reason why I just absolutely love following you. You just have such balanced advice. And it's sad because sometimes people don't want to hear balance. People just want the magic pill or the, the, you know, the elixir that they can drink every single morning and they just want that quick result, but they just don't understand that that doesn't, you know, consistency really is key. And sure, you'll lose a little bit of weight quickly, but it's going to do you more harm than good in the long term, especially when we look at the data and the research on what happens to yo-yo dieters. Um, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the part that you hit on that again, people, they don't realize that they're not being as consistent as they think they are is they really overestimate. It, it's, it's interesting. The people who just looking at the data, the people who really struggle 
to lose weight consistently underestimate how much they're eating. And likewise, the people who struggle to gain weight consistently overestimate how much they're eating. And I always make sure I tell that to people, especially when I'm talking to them on the phone or I'm in a consult, because most people tend to feel like they're alone or like they're, they're one of the only people struggling with this, especially when they're on social media and they see everyone doing really well and they see everyone bragging about all their progress, which is great. I love when people show their progress, but for every person that's showing you all the progress they made, there's a hundred people who are feeling the exact same way. And not to mention even the person who did make that progress is still struggling in some way, shape or form. Like there's still, maybe they're not, they're still not really satisfied with where they are or, you know, they, they still have their own demons that everyone's battling with. So, um, I always tell people that, listen, this is clear in the data. People consistently overestimate or underestimate. And it's important that you know that so that you, you know, you're not a, a special butterfly. You're not unique. You're not different. Like you're, you're normal. You're a normal human being and normal human beings have these biases and these logical fallacies and these inconsistencies. And it's important that you know that so you don't feel like you're a failure because the more you feel like you're a failure, the less likely you are to try anything at all. Yeah. And I love that. And that brings me back. I was thinking about when we went through nutrition school, when I went through my nutrition and dietetic degree, one of the first things that we ever got taught was being a dietitian, you need to know that your clients will always underestimate. That was one of the first messages we got taught. And they sort of said it from this, it's not a bad thing. These people aren't bad people. It's human nature to underestimate what you're eating. Some of that is completely unconscious. We just don't actually realize it. And some of it is a little bit of fudging the truth because, you know, you're sitting in front of a dietitian, you don't really want to reveal all of that chocolate (laughs) and all of that wine that you're having in the pizza on a Saturday night. So some of it is that you're just completely unaware. You don't even realize that you're doing it. And then some of it is just that a little bit fudging of the truth, which is totally fine. But just to normalize that and just sort of say that that is human behavior in a nutshell. Again, like I love how you just, you make that a normal part and let people realize that it's not just them. Like if you're listening at home, we all do it. But I guess it comes down to that, um, that consistency and that awareness versus that unawareness, which really, I guess, matters long-term, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, when we were talking about the non-scale victories, I always like talking about that stuff, especially the mental side of it, because I don't think the the mental side, the emotional side that is, is spoken about enough. I don't think it's discussed enough. I don't think people understand it enough. And I'm also talking directly to, to the coaches too. I think most coaches, they, they learn how to pro, write exercise programs. They learn about calories and macros, and maybe even they learn about micronutrients that they're really interested in. Like they learn about the body and and how it's impacted on a physiological level but they don't learn about behavior change they don't learn about habits they don't learn about what's going on inside the head and for me the way i always think of it is this everybody knows by and large what to do like just everybody knows in some way like apple donut if if you want to be healthier what's going to be the better choice long run obviously like there's arguments for the donut from a mental health perspective. I get that. But generally speaking, people know that. You go to 10 people and you say, hey, do you want the apple or the donut? Not all 10 people are going to choose the apple, even if they are really, even if they really want to get healthier. I think it's one of the things people struggle with is they know what they should be doing. They know they should be going to the gym they, or they know they should be exercising. They know they should be like focusing on, on more nutrient dense foods, having, I don't know, having more salads, more fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, but they're not doing it. And a lot of the times while they're actively not doing it, 
they feel guilty about it. Like they, they literally, as they're either, whether it's through binge eating or just through not doing it, they feel guilty. I know I should be going to the gym, but you know, I'm just going to watch Netflix instead. And it's like, why are these decisions being made? Why, for example, when there's a skull and crossbones on a cigarette pack, are people not only picking it up who are already addicted to it, but why are new people buying cigarettes even they already know that this could kill you? Um, so for me, it's important to understand exercise prescription. It's important to understand nutrition and how that all works. It absolutely is. But there has to be more of a focus on understanding behavior and it has to be more of a focus on understanding on habits and all that stuff. Because if you don't understand why people are making those decisions, then you can't really help them in the way that they need it most. That's so true. And I guess I actually get a lot of um, coaches and nutritionists and personal trainers reaching out to me and asking me questions about how to help some of their tougher clients. Like they always say to me, how do I get this person to realize this? Or how do I make this person know that that's bad? And my response is always, it's never what they want to hear, but it's generally along the lines of you can't ever make somebody want to change. They need to want to change so deeply in their core that that's, there's no other reason for them. You can't, you know, if you're their coach or you're their dietitian or personal trainer, you can't want to do it for them. You can't tell them how to do it. They have to want to do it so badly that there's, there's sort of no other option left. And I think that, you know, as health professionals, we always want to change people. That's the reason that we got into the health field, but we also have to realize that people, they need to want to change from, from their perspective first, or it's never really going to be successful, is it? I am so in love with that you brought that up because I mean, I'm sure as, as you know, there's, there's entire models and theories and practices based on moving people along the stages of change. Like there, that's a really important concept that a lot of coaches don't even know exists. And if, depending on where you are in the stages of change, where you are and how much you know, or how much you want to change or, or just where you are in your life, what's going on, you might literally not be in a place that in which it's even a good idea to try. Like maybe you're just not ready yet. And if you don't come to that decision on your own, if you're doing it for something, for some other reason outside of in your deepest core, like in, in, in your deepest desire to change, it's not going to last. And it's really interesting because I've been doing a lot of, a lot of research and interviewing with clients and people who've lost a lot of weight and kept it off for years. Um, and I've been asking them, did they have an a specific moment in which like one moment in which it clicked, like one moment in which it, it finally happened. And it's been, the answers have been amazing because I consistently keep finding that the people who are the most successful, who've lost I, several people who've lost over a hundred pounds, maintained it for over five years. And number one, they tend to be having this moment that is usually born out of fear, some type of fear of either, um, dying early, getting really sick. Um, there's a fear of not being alive for their kids. There's some type of a fear that is then causing them to have this change. And even though they've wanted to make that change before in their life, even though they had wanted to do that, it had never stuck until that fear really kicked in some moment in their life. And it was funny because I was actually just talking with a woman named Tracy. She lost over a hundred pounds and she was like, yeah, so one year I decided for my new year's resolution, I was going to do it. And it was on January, Monday, January 5th. I decided I'm going to do it now. And that was, that was it. That was the time it happened for her because she had just had another kid and she was like, wow, like I'm super young. I have two kids and I can feel myself deteriorating. And that was the fear that sort of pushed her to make it happen. But she had tried for years and years and years and years before that. And, uh, I think a lot of coaches, they get discouraged when they, they want to help people so bad. They, they want to, they, they know they can do it. 
but they get frustrated when people don't do exactly what they say. And you, you have to realize you, if you just lay out the program, the nutrition guidelines and, and the workouts, and you just lay that out for them to come to, you're going to make, you're going to miss out on helping a lot more people because a lot, you have to go to them in many cases. Like you have to find where you can meet and sort of lead them by the hand until the point in which they can come to that decision on their own. You can help people move along the stages of change, but you can't force them to. And you definitely can't call to them and say, hey, come here. Come here. You have to really slowly lead them along until they can come to that decision on their own. 100%. And I actually have like a blanket rule when I work with my one-on-one coaching clients. They need to show me in, um, I get them to fill out a form basically initially just so I can sort of filter them. And on that form, they need to show me that one of their top goals is developing a healthier relationship with food. If they put weight loss, like X amount of kilos or pounds as their top reason to want to work with me, I won't touch them. I won't touch them with a 10-foot pole because I know that that's not going to be sustainable. If weight loss is all that they care about, they're working on the, you know, that physical sort of this is what I look like. There's nothing deeper there. They don't have that deeper drive that says to them, I want to, in five or 10 years time, be the healthiest version of me. So unless they identify that it's a long-term gain or they want to work on just their relationship with food in general, there's no point. Like I leave them for somebody else because I just know that I'm not going to achieve what I want with them. And they're not going to have success long-term. And that long-term success means so much more to me. Like they could get to the end of 12 weeks of coaching with me and not the scale wouldn't have moved. But if they've got a better relationship with food, if they're now eating more vegetables and their bowels are better and their energy levels are better, that to me is success in a nutshell. Not what we glorify on social media is X amount of kilos or pounds. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think for, I agree with a lot of that. I think the the one thing that I'll do and I, I get their goals and, and, if someone says like one of the, my favorite questions to ask at the very beginning is, um, what would have to happen at the end of six months for you to look back and say this was successful? And I like that because that's a really good way for people to like project onto like, okay, well, what's going to happen by the end of this time frame in six months that like, okay, this is like, this was worth it for me. And if someone says, okay, for at the end of six months, I would have had to lose at least, I don't know, 50 pounds. It's, it's a red flag for me right away. But what I'll do is I'll ask them like, okay, so tell me what if, what if I told you that at the end of six months you'd only lost 10 pounds, would you be pissed about that? And if their response is, yeah, I would be pissed if I only lost 10 pounds. And that's when I'll say like, I think you need to take some time or like go to somebody else. Uh, because that person is not ready to make that change yet at all. Or I'll, I'll send them some posts of mine, some videos of mine that are more educational in nature. Um, if I, if someone says 50 pounds, I'm like, okay, well, let's say you lost 10 pounds with, what do you, what would you feel about that? If they say, honestly, I would like to lose 50 pounds, but if I eat, if I only lost 10 pounds, like that would still be amazing. And I want to develop a better relationship with food. Sometimes I, I just want to get them to talk more because I think a lot of times when people are talking about what they want to achieve, one thing that I've realized is people will want to work with me and, and they want to, they want to impress me. They, they, they want to like be good for me. Like they, they're like, they're like, I want you to feature me on, on your website. I want you to feature me on your page. Like they, they want to do it as part of a, or like showing me that they, they can do it. And I want to eliminate that as quickly as possible because if they're trying to do it for me, that's not going to last. That's a very dangerous road to go down. I want them to be able to do it for them. So by me sort of asking that question, well, what if it was only 10 pounds? What if it was no pounds? A lot of times it's my way of saying, I don't care how much you lose. Like it doesn't matter to me. 
what about you? Then they can sort of outline, okay, well, you know what? Here's what's really important to me. Like, yeah, I would do, I do want to lose weight, but I also want to develop better habits. I do want to do it in a way that isn't restricting me when I'm out with friends. I want to be able to go to holiday parties and not get anxious when I'm eating. So I want to give them that opportunity. And all, one of my favorite sayings um, in, in marketing is sometimes you have to you have to give people what they want in order for them to get what they need. And so for me, what that means is if someone comes to me and like, I want to lose, I want to lose 50 pounds and, uh, and I take them on, for example, that's my opportunity through working with them to hopefully, even though they, they might not lose 50 pounds, odds are, and especially in like such a short time frame. Within that time frame of me working with them, hopefully they'll learn that that wasn't, that wasn't really what they needed anyway. That it wasn't really not only realistic, but that wasn't what was going to make them happy. That wasn't like the end all be all. So I think like through work, through working with people and giving them what they want initially, you can give them what they need, which will then through that process, their mindset will change along the way. And it's way, way harder it's way harder in practice and it's, it's easier said than done. Um, but I mean, it's for me, it's the most important thing is just trying to not sacrifice what I know is right for the purpose of trying to appease them in that moment. Mm, great. I love that. And I guess we just keep touching on this concept of consistency. You know, we keep coming back to it and it is, it is so important. So do you have any tips for our listeners out there who, you know, are at home and they strongly believe to their core, as you said, I'm doing everything right. Like I am doing everything right. And I hear it time and time again. And I don't know what to say to people because I'm like, you're not my client. I actually don't know what you're doing. And I couldn't tell you if you're doing it right. You know, people will send me everything that they eat in a day, their macro breakdown, their calories. And they say, what am I doing wrong? And I don't have a response for them. But if you're not achieving what you want, we obviously not doing something right. So when it comes back down to consistency, what are some of the big, I guess, um, red flags that you sort of, if you could sort of let our listeners know, what are some things that they could, I guess, look a little bit more closely at when it comes to consistency? What are your key take homes here? Yeah. So, I mean, have you ever, have you ever heard of motivational interviewing? Yes. So that's one of my favorite books of all time. And like for anybody who doesn't know, it's, it's a way of structuring a conversation in which, um, rather than telling the person what to do, you can structure it so that they end up telling you what's going on and, and they don't feel like, like I always frame it. Like if I told you, um, Hey, like you got to have vegetables every single day. Like you'd be like, all right, well, fuck you. Like I'm an adult. I'm not going to have vegetables. But if you can talk to that person and be like, well, what do you think you can do better with your nutrition? Like, well, you know, I could probably eat more vegetables. It's like, oh, that's a good idea. Like how many, how many times, how many times a week could you add more vegetables? I don't know, like three times a week. Cool. That's our starting point. And they made it themselves. So for me, if someone comes to me and they're like, I'm doing everything perfectly, I'm doing it. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm hitting everything. Uh, I just want to get them talking because a lot of times the answer will come out. So the question I always ask is, um, I say, okay, do me a favor. First, tell me where you think you are doing the absolute best in your nutrition, like what you think you are doing perfectly. And then tell me one area in which you think you could probably improve. And so they'll tell me where they think they're doing really well. What's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out during the weekends and like, I'm keeping really good track of portion control, whatever it is. And then like, you know, but that being said, um, there's been a lot of stuff in the office recently. There've been a lot of like birthdays and they've had cake and it's just super hard not to say, not to say yes to the cake. So I have been having a little bit of that recently and, and I'll be like, okay. And 
objectively, have you been tracking the cake? Has that been, have you been putting that in your calories? And they'll be like, "Mm, honestly, no, like I haven't really. And so literally they go from going fighting, like I'm very aggressive. I'm doing everything perfectly to once they were able to tell you without feeling judged that like they weren't actually being as consistent as they thought, then they were like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not being as consistent as I think. And and they can figure it out on their own. Um, I, so as far as like specific things, one of the most common ones is, um, this is a funny story. So one of my first clients that I worked with, his name is Jerry and I still actually work with him online. Um, he, the first several weeks he was losing about, about almost three quarters of a pound a week. It was really good progress, but about three weeks in or so he, uh, he just sort of stalled out and it wasn't losing anymore. And he had, he had a lot of room. He had a lot of room to like, he, he should have been losing if he was actually eating that amount of calories. And, um, it stalled for a good five weeks or so because I didn't want to change anything so quickly. Like a lot of coaches are quick to change macros. They change them every week. And I'm like, I just want to stick with these. Let's just stay here. And it didn't move. And so I had him send me food logs of everything he was eating. I had him send me pictures. And, um, I was like, are you sending me literally everything going in your mouth? And he was like, well, yeah, everything except the coffee. And I was like, okay, well, can you send me a picture of one of your coffee? And he had a huge, every day, three times a day, he had a huge, in, in, uh, on the East Coast in the U.S., we have a Dunkin' Donuts, this like extra large Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee. And he had a ton of cream in it. It was, it was like a massive large iced coffee and it was almost white just from so much cream in it. And I was like, have you been tracking the calories and the cream in your coffee? And he was like, just so classic Boston. He was like, Oh fuck. I forgot. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and like literally the amount of cream he had in that coffee, I easily probably a thousand calories a day, like without question, just based on three large ones every day. And as soon as he took that out or reduced it, then he started losing weight again. So I think generally speaking, if you're using a little bit of cream, it's not, that's not what's really going to be, uh, the end all be all of your, of your progress, but it is something to consider whether it's the cream in your coffee or if like you're putting honey on your toast or like if you're putting honey in your tea, like that stuff adds up really, really quickly. I think in a handful of nuts here and there, like it adds up super fast. Um, the, the phrase LBTs licks, bites and tastes a lot. I work (laughs) mostly with women. So like a lot of women who are with their kids or something and they're going around the house and they're cooking for them and they're eating things here, they're eating off their kid's plate and they might not even make their own dinner plate. And so they'll think, Oh, I'm barely eating. I'm not even, I'm not even eating dinner, but they've had more than a dinner just through like all the licks, bites and tastes that they've had through cooking and through sitting with their kids and eating what their kids didn't finish. So it's for me, it's the most important thing is take a week or even just three days and write down literally everything you eat, just everything. You don't even have to track the calories to start. Like you don't, you don't even have to worry about how many calories in the food. Just write down literally everything you eat for three days straight. I try and say, uh, keep it, keep it very consistent. So I would do like two weekdays and then, and then one weekend day, just so you can see what's actually going on, write down everything you eat. If you really want take pictures of it and odds are, you're going to find things that you're like, Oh, I forgot that I had that. I forgot that I had the bag of chips. I forgot that it was, that it was uh, Susan's birthday and they brought in cake and I did have some of the cake. It's, and it, like you said earlier, it's not malicious. It's not like they're purposefully lying. It's just, you have a lot going on in your life and you forget. And even, even if you think you're being perfect, there's stuff going on that you're missing. Or even like you go out to dinner and chips and guac 
It's like, and you end up, you, oh, I only had a couple chips, but it's like you had like 500 calories worth of chips, never mind another 400 calories of guacamole, and then you had the margarita on top of it. You had 1,000 calories just before the dinner even began. It's like, it's so easy to forget and underestimate how much you're eating when you're not aware of it. And I think that's such an important concept because as you said, we don't do it on purpose and it's not something that we're we're lying to ourselves about or pretending that we're not doing a lot of times it's just it just slips our mind because it's just as you said it's a lick of this or a bite of this or just a little nibble on this or it's someone's birthday and it's oh I had a piece of cake you know just once a week but it's always you know it's always someone's birthday there's always some celebration you're always going to go out to dinner you know there's always somebody who you know we have that group of friends that you know somebody might pressure you into it just a little bit or make you feel a little bit guilty and they say oh it's just a bite or it's just a tiny piece or you might have that mother-in-law that you know (laughs) might be a bit of a feeder or something like that my mother is definitely a feeder <laughs> and you sort of you forget My all of those too. things <laughs> that's so funny it's and that's actually one of the major issues that i have with what has become the idea of intuitive eating um mm. i love what intuitive eating actually is but what a lot of people aren't understanding about intuitive eating is that it's the most advanced form of eating it's like it is the pinnacle of being able to maintain a healthy relationship with food and being able to understand what you're putting in your body and understand your hunger cues. Like this is the pinnacle of, of being able to have a very healthy and almost subconsciously healthy relationship with food where you don't have to think about it all the time. Um, and I think what's, it's what everyone should work towards to becoming an, an intuitive eater. But in the same way that with exercises, we progress people from the most beginner all the way to advance. It has to be the same way with nutrition. You won't, you wouldn't just take someone who walked in the gym for their first time and say, all right, let's do weighted chin-ups. Or you wouldn't take them in the gym for the first time and be like, all right, we're going to do snatches. Like you start off with foundations. Like, okay, we're going to start off with a kettlebell deadlift. Uh, and then we're going to go like, it's an elevated kettlebell deadlift. And then we're going to go to a trap bar deadlift. Then we're going to go to a sumo deadlift. Then we're going to go, it's like you progress along the way. Same thing with nutrition. If people don't know how much they're eating, then how can you expect them to be an intuitive eater? It's, you can't have that type, of, that type of mastery without some base level of knowledge. And it's one of the things that a lot of the people who really go hard about, like, you don't need to count calories, just go straight into a, intuitive eating. It's a little bit disingenuous and misleading, and it leads to unrealistic expectations because the people who are just like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't count calories now. Maybe I, maybe I should just go straight to intuitive, intuitive eating. They're like, I don't know. They're just telling me to eat when I'm hungry. So I'm just doing it and I'm trying to listen to my body. But the people who've done, who are like the people really preaching intuitive eating in this way, they usually spent years and years and years tracking calories and tracking their macros. A lot of them develop their own food, uh, food issues and um, emotional issues with food. And that's how they ended up transferring into, into intuitive eating and finding that which worked really well for them. But they forget that they only are able to do it because they have that base knowledge. Mm, And that's such an important concept. And I love how you said that that's a very advanced form of eating because I 100% agree. And one of the biggest things I see with clients who, um, you know, have been doing not so great behaviors for many years now, and perhaps they have a large amount of weight to lose. A lot of them aren't even in touch with their true hunger. Like I'll say to them, are you somebody who regularly gets hungry? Oh no, I never get hungry. And I think that's a big problem. And if you're going to go and then try and eat intuitively, but you never feel hungry 
it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Like, let's be real. And I think that that's a lot of people, A, don't really recognize what is true hunger. And then B, where is that non-hungry eating coming in? You know, I work with a lot of women and that emotional eating or that boredom eating or that stress eating, it's huge. And a lot of that is, again, just that unconscious type of eating. You just kind of forget that it happened because you had a really bad day at work. You came home and you ate a bit of chocolate, but now I'm going to go work it off at the gym. So I'm sort of not even going to worry about that and pretend that it didn't happen. So I guess we've got these two things that a lot of people don't even realize what true hunger is. And a lot of people are eating a lot of food when they're not actually physically hungry. And again, those two things can be super important for consistency as well and and getting long-term results. I could not agree more. Uh, And it's confusing because you have a lot of people saying, demonizing the idea of of tracking calories, making it seem like it's it's completely unsustainable and it's going to cause disordered eating habits. And number one is when people are saying it's, I found the people who are really screaming, it causes disordered eating habits. That's because they did it themselves and they took it to an extreme. A lot of times they did some type of a figure, like a figure competition and like they developed a disordered eating habit from it. And so they're like, well, that means everybody is going to do it. It's like, no, like we can teach them to do it sustainably and healthily. Um, it's just really important. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, um, it sucks when people demonize anything as like something is is all good or all bad. I think I don't think that people have to calorie count for their whole life if they don't want to. So I know some people they love doing it. It's just it makes it easier for them. You can do it in less than five minutes a day. Um, but I do think it, it's a big issue to tell people just if you're hungry, eat. Just pay attention to your hunger because, like you said, people aren't really necessarily in touch with it, and maybe they're super stressed out. Uh, something's crazy going on at work. The kids are going nuts, like whatever it is, they had a crazy day, whatever. And they get back home and they just think back to the Instagram post where the person was like, if you're hungry, just eat, satisfy your hunger. And it's like, okay, well I'm hungry. So I should probably eat right now. It's like, we have to get to that level. You have to learn how to get there. And, uh, and he's just overlooked by a lot of the, the dogmatic proponents of it. Mm, and I think it really comes back down to that concept of personalized nutrition. And that's something that I say to all of my clients. Like if there's something that you want to do, great, we'll do it. Whether it's keto, whether it's low carb, high carb, low fat, high fat, whether it's um, you know intermittent fasting, if it's something that you think a concept will work for you, not because it's trending on Instagram, but because you think it can fit into your lifestyle, we can work with that. But it really comes down to that personalized nutrition. What is going to work for you? Not because it's trending on Instagram, but what is going to work for you? And it can be a concept of many different things. You know, I'll often use um, small amounts of just weighing your food and tracking what you're doing for two or three days, and then sort of use a little bit of that intuitive eating in combination. I think on social media, people get so much like, I'm in this camp or I'm in this camp, but you yes. can't be in between. You know, it's I'm black or I'm white, but I'm not gray. Like, no way am I gray. And I, I hate that concept. I hate that thing about social media and people get so angry because, you know, I won't pick a side. I refuse to pick a side and I'm very much a fence sitter and I'm in the gray area and it annoys a lot of people. I'm sure that you, you know, we're very, very similar. I'm sure you get the similar sort of comments as well. Yeah. I think, I think we are, we get the probably the exact same types of comments because <laughs> I, there's no one size fits all. There's no one size fits all program. There's, and not only that, not only is there not a single program that works for everybody, there's not a single program that's going to work for every single person for the rest of their life. Like you might need to change your nutrition as you get older. And as you, who knows if you get married, if you have kids, if you change jobs, like if you move somewhere, like 
your nutrition and your training, it has to change and it has to adapt to what you're doing. And if you, one thing that I've, I've always been so adamant about saying is if you lock yourself in to one way of eating as this is the right way, this is the only way. And something happens in your life in which you are no longer able to sustain that happily, you're going to find yourself in a very scary predicament internally being like, you have this internal war being like, but this is the right way, but I can't do this way anymore. So what's going to happen? And then you feel like a failure. You feel like what it's, it's a really dangerous road to go down to, to really make it appear as though there's only one right way. So, I mean, I, I think we're very similar in that in terms of understanding the best nutrition protocol, the best exercise program is the one that you can sustain long-term while making progress without it taking over your entire life. Like that's it. And whatever that means, if, and it's, it's funny because nutrition, especially even more than, than exercise, exercise too, but really nutrition, people get really culty and like very like, this is my group, this is your group and we hate you. And the crazy part of it all is like, we all just want to help people get healthier. Like that's really the end goal. That's like what we all want to do. But like all these tears underneath it are like fighting about who's right, who's wrong. Carbs are bad. No fat's bad. It's like, no, it's like, if you're not vegan, then you're a terrible person, da, 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 all this stuff. It's, uh, it's really interesting from a mental perspective and a behavioral perspective and like a, a really like a, a societal norms perspective to watch how these groups interact with each other. It's one thing that was really interesting to me was like, for example, the, the vegan plant-based group, a lot of times they get really upset. Like they can get really mad. And for me, I have no issues with, if you love keto, do keto. If you're, if you're vegan, for ethical reasons, whatever health reasons, do that plant-based. I don't, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care what you do. doesn't matter to me. But when you start saying that your way is the only way, when you start making it seem like not only your way is the only way, but when you start creating the sense of moral superiority because of how you eat, I'm just, I'm not okay with that at all. And I remember having a conversation with uh, someone who was leaving comments on that page being like, if you're not a vegan, you're just a terrible person. I was like, well, let me ask you this. What if someone decided one day a week that they would eat in a vegan plant-based lifestyle. Would that be okay? And they'd be, they were like, no, because what's going on the other six days? I'm like, but you don't like, you're not even encouraging people like to start taking part in it. And it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you're either all in or you're all out in their eyes. And it creates a really uh, volatile environment for people. And I think the more, the, the ironic part is the more welcoming and accepting you are, and the more you don't build one thing up as the end all be all, the more likely people are to go to what you're doing and try it out. A hundred percent agree. And I feel that that exact same way about, um, the Hayes advocates, you know, they're the healthy yes. eating at every size, that sort oh of thing. God, and I, yeah. I love that concept. And I think that it works so wonderfully for so many people, but how, upset the people get if you're not a hundred percent in, or if you're not using that for a hundred percent of your clients, it's like, you can't use that for anybody. And it just upsets me because it's not a concept that will work for every single individual on this planet. And it's like, yes, it works brilliantly for some people, but why can't we just use that as a tool in our toolbox to help some clients, but not all if it's appropriate for them. But it's sort of like, I've never really even you know, gone to many sort of pities or trainings or that sort of thing in Australia, because I feel like I'm getting judged and I'm getting shamed for not using that for every single client that I have yet. So it's just, it comes down to that personalized nutrition and even health professionals. We can be the worst at it from providing that sort of judgment for people. So I, I feel like consumers on the ground, you know, our listeners today, they must be so confused because up here, all the health professionals are fighting about 
what is right and what is the best way. And it's like, you can only be in this group or only be in this group or only be in this group. There's no in between. Has God help you if you're in between this, you know, you're going to, you're going to get attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's crazy. And especially with that, the, uh, you, do you, you just call it haze, like H A E S that are, yeah. Not the other yeah, group. Yeah. It's, uh, man, it's been very, very polarizing and almost like sort of scary to see, um, mm. how vicious they've been in, in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a lot of, I think the, the thing about that group is it comes from a good intent. Right. I think a lot of stuff with that group, it all comes from wanting to have everybody be accepted and nobody be shamed or guilted, which I love that. I think it's super important mm-hmm. to, to promote that. When you get to the very vocal minority of that group, the extremists of that group, almost mm-hmm. ironically, what they'll do is they'll end up not supporting and actually shaming and guilting people who are going in the other direction. So, for example, if someone wants to lose weight because they, Maybe they have joint pain. Maybe they want to for their own personal reasons. They'll shame and they'll guilt that person for wanting to do that, which it goes against everything they say in terms of you support all bodies. It's like, so support all bodies. And I think it just, it creates this really uh, extremist mentality and it, it pushes more people away. And above all else, it keeps people from actually being able to make a decision. It keeps people from, it, it confuses people and it, they have emotional strings. It's like some people are saying to this, some people are saying to this, some people are saying to this, and they want to appease people, but they also want to do what's important for them. I think it's, it's, uh, it would be way better off if people stopped, stopped making each individual method out to be as the end all be all and more focused on the principles mm-hmm. of what you have to do and then allow from the principles, you find what works for you and you push away what doesn't. And as long as people are getting healthier, as long as they're improving, as long as they're happier, as long as they have a better relationship with food, as long as they can, they're they're better for their family and better for themselves and better for their work and better for society. I have have a very hard time saying that there's a single individual program that, that would be best if it's, if it's not allowing the individual to be their best. Exactly. And one of the first podcasts I ever recorded was just one of myself and it was called Six Six Simple Fat Loss Tips. And it wasn't even really about fat loss. It was more just about health. And my six tips were just the foundations of general health. It was, are you getting enough sleep? Are you managing your stress levels? Are you eating enough vegetables? Are you drinking enough water? Are you moving your body in some way most days? And it was like that basic message of health it just gets lost with all the fluff on social media. And it's like, that should be 80% of what an individual thinks about, whether they're trying to lose weight, gain weight, be healthy, stay exactly where they are. They need to consider those foundational messages of health. Then the extra sort of 10 to 20% at the top could be keto, could be high fat, could be low carb, could be high carb, could be intuitive eating. It doesn't really matter, but you've got to have that foundational message first. So really, instead of all being in different groups, we should be promoting the same message so that consumers are getting those foundations right first because as you mentioned we all just want to help people but we're going about it the wrong way there's so much fighting and so much shaming going on on social media that the people at the bottom the people who need help and who want help are so confused that they're sort of sitting back and going oh bloody hell I don't know I'm not going to do anything I'm just going to sit here and not do anything and they're no better off at the end of the day are they that's that's it's exactly right it's it's terrible because for the people actually need the help they're not getting it they're, they don't know what to do. They, they have paralysis by analysis. They're, I don't know what to choose and they feel defeated. So why try anything at all? And then the coaches, 
they're so busy fighting and arguing and debating and saying their way is right away that in another terrible way, they're not getting any business. The co- a lot of coaches are suffering. A lot of coaches don't have any clients because they're too busy fighting other coaches rather than going in and actually helping people. So on both ends of the spectrum, people aren't getting helped. And it's just, it's like, you guys need to get your ego in check. Fucking stop arguing about all this nonsense. Stop talking about like gluconeogenesis and the Krebs cycle and start like, just why don't you fucking go in and make sure people are eating well. Like we know what that means. Don't eat like an asshole. Make sure that they're, they're staying hydrated. They're moving every day. It's super fucking simple, but you're overcomplicating it because you read a textbook that someone that disagrees with another textbook. You read an article online and it's, it's just, it's all ego based stuff that people are arguing about from an emotional perspective, not logical. And if they really sat down and said, you know, I just, I, if they, I really want to help the most people, then it's, it's very simple. Like I'm just going to promote these basic principles and that's it. I'm not going to get involved in, in the minutia that the, the trivial stuff that people are arguing over and not making any progress on. Mm, exactly. And it, I, I sort of think of it like sprinkles on a cake. Like it's just really those sprinkles on top. It, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Those nitty gritty sort of things that people are really arguing over because most people we know, they don't get those foundations right first. So it doesn't really matter what the other sort of five or 10% of their diet really makes up if they're not sleeping well and moving regularly and eating whole foods the majority of the time. It doesn't matter, but we're getting so caught up in it and making it such a thing that I guess the people that need the help, they consider it a big thing or bigger than it, it really means yeah at the end of the day. Abs- yeah and then it's it's confusing it's really because there's so much information so out there and it's it's what because you know, i mean i have a lot of friends who they'll come to me because i'm the fitness guy among my group of friends and they'll be like oh i'm starting this new thing and even though they read my content they still don't pay attention to it a lot of times and they'll say i'm trying this new thing i'm like you're an idiot but whatever and and they'll be like, i'm trying this new thing whatever and the first thing they'll tell me is oh i got these new supplements and i'll be like the fuck like dude <laughs> like you've tr- you've how much money have you spent on supplements how many times have you ever bought a supplement and then a month later been like i'm really glad that i spent the money on that ever like <laughs> never you've never no. gone to gnc or vitamin shop and said like you know i really think that buying those fat burning pills was a good decision because like it it doesn't change your habits it doesn't do anything i always say like supplements don't work unless you work is is no, all of this other stuff, all the sprinkles, as you put it, they they seem nice and they could add a good texture and they could they could shake things up a bit, but it doesn't change the actual substance of what you're doing. Like you could put sprinkles on vanilla ice cream, you could put put sprinkles on chocolate ice cream, you could put sprinkles on whatever, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still, it's ice cream. That's what you're putting on. And you have to figure out like, what is the base? What are you putting the sprinkles on? And if that's not, if that's not set in stone yet and you don't have those principles, then you're wasting your time. Mm. And it brings us back to the conversation we had earlier about rapid fat loss. You've got to have those foundations in plan first. So you've got something to go back to. If you don't know what sustainable healthy eating is, how are you ever going to you know, flick that switch at the end of the day and go back to that or make that your new normal? Like We need to just make healthy eating normal. And I'll give you a statistic in Australia, and I'm sure it's the same in um, where you are in the US, but it's 95% of Australians do not eat enough vegetables. And when someone says to me, well, what do you think about keto? What do you think about you know low carb? What do you think about high carb? I say, what do you think about eating more vegetables? And they don't want to hear it. They do not want to hear it. But I say 95% of Australians do not eat enough vegetables. Why don't we start there? I, I mean, I, I, uh, there's nothing to say. Like, I, like, not only do I agree with that, 
I don't eat enough vegetables and I'm a health professional. It's like, I don't drink enough water. I don't eat enough vegetables, but it's not about, it's not about doing everything perfectly. It's not about like always meeting that, like the minimum requirement. It's about doing the best that you can and making sure that the majority of your time is spent on the, really those foundational principles. Like I think the, the vast majority of people are not only not eating enough, like they're not eating any. And, and like, Mm. And if they do, then it's a sort of a bastardized version of it. It's like, yeah, I had a salad. I, I have been, I have several salads a week. I'm like, okay, so what kind of salad? I have the Cobb salad, and it's like the salad in of itself is like four thousand calories, and it's like it's like eighty grams of fat. I'm like, all right, so I love that you're having some form of a salad. Now let's make it like not the cheeseburger of salads. Let's like try and make it like like get a little bit more higher quality stuff in there. It's uh, it's there's there's it's not even, it's just not happening. People aren't focusing on the things that are so basic and so simple, but the, you know what the thing is, and this is another, it's all ego based for coaches and social media. A lot of coaches aren't writing to actually help people. They're writing to try and impress other coaches, right? So they're trying to like talk in, in scientific terms and try and come up with, reinvent the wheel and do things that other coaches are going to be like, wow, that's super exciting. That's amazing. I've never tried that. When in reality, if they just wrote more about the basic and simple stuff, it wouldn't sound as impressive, but that's what actually helps people. And that's why I do so many Harry Potter references and, and try and, because it is super boring. It is very simple. And as a coach, you have to find a way to get that point across and get that message across. And when you're create, when you have the ability to be creative with it and you can make that boring, simple stuff fun again, then you can really create an opportunity for your clients to succeed. But most people, they don't like writing about the boring stuff because it doesn't show off their intelligence or their perceived intelligence. And then rather than get creative and still discuss that stuff, they'd rather try and impress people or other coaches and it just, it helps nobody. Yeah. And that's such an important concept. And I think that's a wonderful sort of way to round out um, our first podcast is really just, let's just get back to basics. Let's get those foundations right first before we really go and do anything else. Because as we mentioned at the start, it's that consistency and it's that long term that's really going to be the winner here. Like nothing, nothing good ever happened, you know, in four weeks or six weeks or anything like that. If you don't get those basics right first, where are you going to be in five years time? Where are you going to be in 10 years time? You know, do you actually want to enjoy your retirement? You know, retirement for most people means being able to travel. But if you, if you're, you know, you you don't have great health and you can't walk and your back's aching and your knees are giving way, how are you going to actually be able to enjoy your retirement? So let's get to back to basics and and just play the long game and play the long-term game. hundred percent. And just to quickly go on the, the rapid phallus again, a lot of times people will, they'll come to me like, I want to do a rapid phallus program. And just from the motiv- motivational interviewing perspective, I'll be like, okay, I have an idea. I'm not going to say no, don't do it. But what I will say is before you do the rapid phallus, how about you spend 90 days, 90 days doing something sustainable first. If you can do 90 days, completely hundred percent sustainable and follow what I say, then at the end, I'll design a rapid phallus protocol for you. And they're like, deal. And I don't think people really understand how long 90 days actually is and how difficult yeah. it is to be super consistent for 90 days. But the best part is of the people who actually make it through those 90 days and do it consistently, by the time they get to the end of it, they don't want the rapid phallus protocol. They don't want it anymore because they've made sustainable progress. They enjoy everything that's going on. They they know what to do now. Like they don't need it. And the desire for it is gone because they're not chasing the quick fix anymore. So what I always say is like, if, if you're thinking about you want to do like a, a juice cleanse or a fasting or a rapid fast protocol, 
stick to 90 days of something sustainable first. And if at the end of 90 days, you still want to do it, by all means, go for it. But I bet that if you actually do it consistently, you're not going to want to. Because mm, you're going to feel so amazing after 90 days and you're still going to have some results, whether that be scale results or, yes. um, you know, just even how you're feeling in terms of energy, digestion, you know, your skin will probably be a little bit better and, and healthy and that sort of thing. You just, you're going to see so many wins in so many other areas that you know that that for you is just, it's enough, it's life. And you're just going to keep progressing with all of those wins anyway. So you're right. They don't, they don't even want the rapid fat loss anymore because yeah. they can see how, how great they feel in 90 days. Imagine how great you could feel in five years time. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. That was um, such an amazing chat. I, I learned so much. I'm sure our listeners got so much out of it. Um, if they're not following you on social media, which they really should, can you <laughs> let everyone know what your social media handles are? Have you got a website? How can they contact you? Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, YouTube, Jordan Syatt, and Instagram is Syatt Fitness. Um, any questions, you can email me, jordan at syattfitness.com. Um, but yeah, just that's pretty much it. I really appreciate you having me on. This was super fun. I'm excited for the next one. And uh, thank you. This was great. I like I like these conversations because I think a lot of people are scared to have these discussions because it's uh, people can get volatile and get really angry when you don't agree with them. So I appreciate that you're very, very intellectually consistent and you're open and you're you're not afraid to push the boundaries. And I, uh, I respect you a lot. So thank you. No, 100%. The feeling is 100% neutral. And I'm sure our listeners got so much out of this and I absolutely can't wait for our next chat. Thank you so much for coming on. There you have it, an incredible chat with a very experienced and intelligent online social media influencer who is not afraid to tell it like it is and call out the BS on social media. Don't forget to go and give Jordan a follow at at Fitness. That's S-Y-A-T-T-F-I-T-N-E-S-S. And I will catch you guys in the next podcast.